Well, good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here with you again. I always enjoy being here. And uh, this morning, uh, some of you may not have had a chance to meet some parts of my family. I know Nadia, my oldest, has been with me a few times, but Kim is with me this morning. She normally works at a church as a children's minister direct, ministry director, and she can't get away too often. And today, they're not having their regular kids' ministry uh, functions, so she's able to be with me. This morning, I'm going to be speaking from the book of Colossians. I know you're working through the series of Malachi, but uh, I didn't communicate well enough with Daniel to to make sure that we're on the same page on that. So I'm going to be preaching from Colossians. And so we'll go back to Malachi next week. Uh, I did understand that last week you talked, or two weeks ago, you talked about dung in the face, and I can't compete with that anyway. Um, surely you won't want to try to do that. But this morning, we're looking at Colossians. You heard the passage read. It's, uh, it's part of uh, the passage of Scripture. If you read through the book of Colossians, which if you're not familiar with the Scriptures, maybe you are, but let me briefly say... The book of Colossians, the name comes from a church. It's in the city of Colossae, and that was the city that Paul had written to to instruct about how to live as a Christian, basically. And that's what this is. It's a letter. And so the book of Colossians has different themes throughout it. One of them is the victory we have in Christ, and that's what this passage we're talking about today is dealing with. It's actually part of a broader passage that begins in chapter 2, verse 6, and goes all the way in through the uh, 15th verse. And as you look at it grammar-wise, it breaks up into three different sections. And the first section is the one we're going to look at today. I thought about trying to preach through the breadth of all of it, and I thought that's just too much. So today we're only going to look at the first part of it, and of course it could be a good three-part series. So if I happen to see you in 2018, maybe you'll get the second part of that. We'll find out. But uh, it's talking about the triumph we have, the victory we have with Christ. The, the Greek word that actually means triumph, and you'll see that in verse 15. And, and it's leading up to the aspect of what a triumphant faith looks like. A triumphant faith for you and me, a triumphant faith based on the triumphant work of Christ on the cross. Uh, I thought of this particular passage of Scripture because I don't know about you, but we're wrapping up a year, uh, and we look back. At, maybe you're not like me, but I know at the end of a year and beginning of a new year, I always have a, a pause. In one sense, we don't start over. We're still living life. Everything we've done has bearing on everything we're going to do. But New Year's is a time of the year when you have a chance to kind of reflect a little bit. Some people make resolutions. Some people make plans for the year ahead. I've already started thinking through what my calendar is going to look like. We've talked about vacation times and some of my work-related responsibilities. And so we're already organizing 2018, which is just a far-fetched idea to say that number. When I was a kid, 2000 sounded so far away, and now we're moving well into the 21st century. But uh, it's a time when you, you reflect as well. You don't just plan ahead, but you reflect on, well, how did this last year go? And there's been good things that have happened, and there's been negative things that have happened. And that's true on an international stage. That's true on a national stage. It's true in our own families and in our own individual lives. And as you reflect back, it's not a bad thing to reflect. It's, it's sometimes a positive thing. You can gain some insight to where you are right now, where we are as a people right now. How do we get here? But at the same time, if we just keep looking back, that's not going to do us a lot of good going forward. You know, um, I, I like to run. I don't do nearly as much of it as I did a few years ago. But for a long time of my life, I was a runner. And uh, occasionally, if you run much, anyone here a runner? If you run much, you will. Not, not a lot of runners here. <laughs> but then you have to believe me, this is true, right? If, if you're a runner, you are going to fall. Okay, that's going to happen. If you're a biker, you're going to wreck. And that's just part of anything that you do consistently. You're going to have moments when you fall down. And I remember one time I was running, 
And I, I biffed big time, okay? And what happened was uh, we lived in California, and because of the earthquakes and the land moving, there was not a sidewalk that didn't have a crack in it. And, and over time, those cracks could really be elevated, so they could be big old gaps like this. And I remember running, and I was looking down the road. I wasn't looking immediately where I was running, and my foot caught one of those cracks in the sidewalk. And I, I tumbled and skinned my knees and my elbows. And, you know, what do you do in that situation? Well, I'm far away from the house. I still got the rest of my run to run, right? I, it was cold. I remember that morning. It was 26 degrees when I went out running that morning. And I just got up and ran the rest of my run because it's, that's what I'm doing. I'm running, right? And, and that's how life is. Sometimes you're going to biff. You're going to take a fall. And you got to decide, am I just going to limp back home now? Or am I going to just keep running? And New Year's is one of those times of the years that we can do that. Well, this morning, looking at this passage of Scripture, I want to talk about how we do that and how we finish successfully, how we have triumph in 2018, and set ourselves up for triumph for the rest of our lives and into eternity. And so in looking at this passage of Scripture, I'm going to be looking at five different ways we deal with what I call God's purpose. Now, why do I say God's purpose? Um, if you look at this passage of Scripture, it starts off, and I'm at a point in my life now, uh-oh, Kim, would you get my glasses? They're in the pocket of my jacket right there uh, on the left side. Yeah, there they are. Some of you guys are not here yet. You will be. Some of you are there. You know what I'm talking about, right? If you look at this particular passage of Scripture, it starts off saying, Therefore, as you received in Christ Jesus the Lord, as you received, what Paul is doing is he's reminding the Colossians that they are part of a chain of heritage. And he's going to expound on that, not just in the next two verses, but through verse 15. And as he begins to build toward the triumph that the church can expect to have in Christ, he's going to start to, to show them how they're going to arrive at that based on their foundation. It's not that you're going to triumph in Christ because of what you're going to accomplish, but it's because of the foundation you have through the work that Christ has done. And so this morning, as I'm thinking through 2017 into 2018, and how we're going to transition from one world, one year to the next, I thought, well, let's, let's figure out what's the best way possible we can transition. And, and the message this morning is triumphal living, living through faith, living by faith. And the idea is focusing on the purpose that God has and how we adjust to that purpose, how we connect to it. Now, I thought about saying, what is the purpose that God has for you or for me? But the reality is that sometimes we say that, and I know we want to personalize the message of God. We certainly do. But sometimes we do that to the, to the exclusion of a bigger picture. And so I just left it as God's purpose. I think there's five ways we're going to look at the passage today that, today that teaches us how to live according to God's purpose and leave it at that. Because if we're seeking after God's purpose for his church, for his world, for your life, for your family, for all of it together, we're going to find our role in that. And so sometimes as Christians, especially in America, we're looking for what does that passage mean to me? What does God want from me? As if God's got a thousand individual purposes for a thousand individual people. And in one sense, he does, because he cares about all of us individually. But really, we're, we're turning it upside down by doing that. God's got a purpose and a movement, and he's inviting us to join him. He's not personalizing it for each of us. Does that make sense? Now, we have a personal role in that. And so this morning, I want to say, if you want to have a truly successful 2018, then tap into God's purpose. Figure out what God's got in store. And Paul starts off by saying that, as therefore, as you received Christ Jesus. The first thing I want to say this morning is that if you want to live according to God's purpose, you've got to, first of all, discover God's purpose. 
When Paul says that as you have received Christ Jesus, he's not just saying, hey, Jesus showed up and you took him in. That passage, that word received literally means uh, it's part of a concept in the ancient Greek writing of, of how do you know what is true? The word reception there, receive, deals with the transmission of authority. And you can ascertain if something is true or not based on two things, the authority of the one who's giving the information to you or the chain of that authority to the person that has the authority. And so, for example, if I'm an important teacher, let's say I was an, an um, Aristotle and I'm teaching an Alexander, or I'm a, you know, one of these Socrates teaching Plato, part of the, the authority that Plato has is that he was a student of Socrates. Does that make sense? And so what Paul is doing here, he's, he's taking back the teaching, the apostolic truths that the apostles passed on to the church, he says, are actually rooted in Jesus Christ. And the same is true for you and me. Now, we have it in two ways. We have God's word on authority from the apostles' teachings that Jesus gave to them. We have, in essence, God's authority right here. And discovering God's purpose for our lives starts with under investigating his word and understanding what is it God wants a person in general to look like. There are plenty of direct commands in the Bible that we're not living by that should we live by, it will affect how we live our lives. You know, Jesus didn't suggest that we go tell everybody in the world about Jesus, right? He says, no, you need to go. He commanded us to go into all the world. And what are we supposed to be doing in that process? Making disciples. So you should never have to ask God, God, do you want me to make disciples? He's already commanded us to do that, right? How about loving your neighbor? Is that an option, a good thing to go do? Or Nope, Jesus said do that too, right? So there's a lot of things that we, we have directives in the scriptures that we don't always follow out, you know? That's part of discovering God's purpose. But there's another aspect of it as well, and, and Paul hints at it in this, as you've received Christ Jesus, in the next passage, he's going to say, walk in him. I'm, I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But there's an aspect of discovering God's truth and purpose that is, in a sense, individualistic for our lives, because God is treating us as a relationship, not just a rule book. We know that the, the Bible is our guide for living, but at the same time, God is involved through the Holy Spirit in our lives on a daily basis. And God is constantly speaking to us through circumstances, through the scriptures, through the fellow believers around us, through our prayer time. And as we're following God, he's speaking to us and he's, he is giving a purpose that is going to, because of your personality and because of who you are, and because of your circumstances and your family and your language and your economic status, every aspect of who you are as a person, your character, your shortcomings, every aspect of who you are, God's purpose is going to, be, is going to speak to you in a way that's unique to you that only you can accomplish. Now, there are some things that you have that you have some skills that there's, I, would, I would love to have, I would dream to have, maybe some resources uh, maybe people that you know or places that you've been or a language that you speak, but there's things that you have that can help you to define how is God going to use you in the year ahead? And so the apostle Paul says, just as you have received Christ Jesus, just as you've received him, and I'm telling you guys, just as you have received Christ Jesus, you are not part and I'm not part of some small movement in some small part of a country in one part of a, a 21st century. No, we are all part of this grand movement of God that really begins with Abraham and certainly begins before that too all the way back to Adam and then through Noah. But starting with Abraham, God says, I've got a purpose to bless the world through your descendant, Jesus. And we are part of that covenant. We are part of that promise that God made to Abraham. So discover your purpose. Discover God's purpose 
and see how that plays out for you and how you connect to that in 2018. So how do we do that? If we're to discover the purpose, what do we do in the process then? Well, the next thing to do, and I put it in here, it's easy for me to remember, is to embrace then that purpose. Embrace God's purpose for you in 2018. Embrace what God is doing and how you're going to... How do we, how, where do you get that from? Right there in the next verse actually is the main verb for this entire two sentences. He says, again, I'll have to look at my bigger text here. It says, as you receive the Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. So walk in him. Now that word walk in the ancient Greek doesn't necessarily mean just put one foot in front of the other. And that's certainly one aspect of what it means. But it literally means as you journey through something, as you're experiencing something, it's this movement of life. It's the idea that as you are experiencing, as you are journeying through life, do so within the identity of Jesus Christ. Now that's the rub. Discovering God's purpose is one thing, but then taking it on as your own is a different. In fact, what Paul does here is a little unique. Typically, when he talks about us being in the identity of somebody, Paul almost exclusively talks about us being in the Spirit or in the Holy Spirit. It's rare for him to say in Christ in this context. Now, he talks about in Christ in another context. But when he talks about walking in the power of God, he's usually referring to the Spirit. Uh, Peter uses walking in Christ numerous times in First and Second Peter. Paul talks about us being in Christ, finding our identity in Christ. But when he talks about living to the purpose, fullness of who God has called us to be, he normally does so in the Spirit. So one of it, the book of Colossians is one of the most developed Trinitarian theolo- theological books in the Bible. It's pretty cool here. You see, you see Paul replacing the Holy Spirit in a way that he normally uses for Jesus. But what the apostle Paul is teaching us is once you discover what God has got in store, that's not the end of the story. It's just the beginning of the story. And for you, for 2018, figuring out what God's got in store is an exciting thing, but the world work begins then, is you've got to go live it out, right? Some of you know exactly what God's got in store for you. Maybe someone here is called to be an international missionary, or maybe God's called you to change your job, or maybe God's called in a way that's going to affect how you do your finances, or how you interact with a family member that, that you can't get along with. But you know God's will is not for you to be at odds with them. And, and guess what? It may, it may be that if it's gonna be, that relationship's going to be made right, you're going to have to be the one that bites your tongue and goes to them with some humility, even if you were probably right in the situation that caused it to be wrong in the first place, right? But if we're truly going to be followers of Christ, embracing his purpose sometimes is going to require effort. That usually is going to require effort. And the apostle Paul says that. So he says, as you discover, as you receive what Jesus Christ is doing in your life, then walk in him. Live the way you know you're supposed to. Now, that's easier said than done, right? How many of us, you could raise your hands if you want, but I don't think any of you probably will. How many of you have always done everything you knew you were supposed to do the right way? Right? You know, maybe the baby can raise his hand because he hasn't had a chance to mess up, right? Right? The truth is, is we all have done things we know we shouldn't have done, and we've all not done the things we know we should have. And our stubborn hearts and our callous spirit will keep us from doing the right thing. And Paul is is warning us here, and, and he's encouraging us here. If you want to be truly triumphant, remember, that's the goal of this passage by verse 15. You have to walk in Christ. Before you get in the car and you're going to find those crazy drivers out there and you're going to want to yell at them, get in the spirit. It sounds crazy, but pray when you get in the car. Before you go to work and interact with that person that just always says the right thing, or I should say the wrong thing, that gets you riled up. 
Go to the Holy Spirit and talk with God about it and, and, and walk with as if you are going to be Christ to that person because that may be the only thing that can change that situation. And as you do that, as you begin to walk with Christ and you begin to embrace God's purpose in the process, then two things begin to happen, and we see this forming in verse 7. The first of those is that we then begin to cultivate God's purpose for our life. You see, he says, so walk in him, and then what does he say? Being rooted and established in him. Rooted and established. Now, Paul does a funny thing with those two words there. Rooted is uh, it's a form of, it's called eris, but it's a form of uh, a, a Greek tense that basically this is a once and for all. He says, you were rooted in Christ once and for all. There's nothing more you ever have to do. How you live does not make you more or less loved by God. You're not more favored by God because you're a righteous person, and you're no further away from God because you're an unrighteous person. The work that Christ did on the cross is a once and for all thing, and being a follower of Jesus makes us rooted in him. And that's exciting. You can't, you can't lose salvation. You can't lose God's favor. I hope that encourages you a little bit. But Paul didn't leave it at that. He goes, as you are rooted in him, so also be establishing in him. And we don't really translate that well in English. It literally means being established. It's a continuation. It's a process. And how many of you, when you first became a follower of Jesus, you were perfect at that point? I sure wasn't. I'm still working on it, and it's been a long time, about four decades, that I've been trying to, best as I know how, follow God. And it's a process that takes time. And, and the only way to do that, the Apostle Paul says, is to be established in him. And that word established could be translated remaining. It could be uh, integrated is another word there. The idea is that you're constantly, constantly being integrated with the Holy Spirit, with God, with Jesus. And the way we do that is, of course, spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, living out the life God has called us to live. And that's easier said than done, but it's the same thing Jesus told us, didn't he? In John chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. Anybody know that verse? Jesus commanded his disciples, he said, remain in me and I in you, because the one who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. But then he warns us in verse 6, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And what happens to the one who does nothing, that bears no fruit? It says the one that doesn't bear any fruit, it is gathered up, cast aside and withers, and then tossed into a fire. Now, that doesn't mean that God's going to toss us into fire if we're not bearing fruit. It's an analogy. It's a picture that says, hey, if you're not, if you're not stuck to the main vine, if you're not attached to the root, you're just going to wither. You're not going to have the fruit that God's intending for you to have. In 2018, if we truly want to live out God's purpose, once we have, one, we have to figure it out and live now according to his will and not our own, not how much money can I make or how much enjoyment can I have. And those aren't inherently bad things, but we're called to be disciples of Jesus. That's our number one calling now. And are we focused our lives on that aspect of our faith, is living out a discipleship life. If we are, then we should have a life that what? Then is rooted in Christ and established, being established in him on a regular basis. And so I'm going to encourage you this morning to start cultivating your faith in a way maybe you haven't before. I don't know what your habits are. I don't know if you read the scriptures daily or if you try to pray every day. Uh, when I was growing up, I was taught to have a quiet time or sometimes it was shortened to a QT. Maybe you guys have been taught the same thing. I would strongly recommend finding a time. For some people, it's different times. Some find it early morning, some in the evening. I think more people find the early morning to be more profitable for them. Uh, I typically find mine just after the early morning when everything's kind of settled for the day. But let me encourage you, find time to spend with the Lord. You're not going to be serving His will, His purpose, 
if you don't understand his will or his purpose. The best way to know God's will is to spend time with him, right? And this is just a good primer, stuff you already know. But for 2018, say, you know what? This will be the year that I'll be consistent with my prayer life. I'll be consistent with reading the scriptures. If you haven't read the whole Bible through in a year, make this a goal for this year. It's not like we're not talking about legalism that you've got to do this to be successful in the spirit. There's many ways you can be focused on the word, maybe finding a, a devotional book that you work through for the next year. And just saying, God, I want you to grow me. I want to be attached to you. Certainly, certainly begin to put your hands to your faith as well. Living out your faith in a way that's not just learning knowledge, but embracing the people around you and touching them. Cultivate that. Cultivate the faith that God has given to you. The Apostle Paul says we received it through Jesus Christ, and now it's ours to do something with it or not. And then the very next verse, after it says that we should be or actually it says rooted and being built up in him. Then it says established in the faith just as you were taught. Established in the faith carries the next concept of that cultivating, and that's that nurturing. Once you find out what God has got for you in purpose and in your life, then doing it on a consistent basis. Uh, I work with a lot of guys that feel like God's calling them into ministry. And I was talking to one of the guys recently, and he feels like God wants him to be a pastor. And so I, I, mean, I do that all the way from Canada down to Olympia. And this guy says, well, you know, can you help me? And I said, sure, I'll be happy to help walk you through that process. I said, one of the things I would encourage, because he wants to preach. I said, okay, then find ways to preach. And he's like, oh, yeah, I want to do that. Because I don't know if I'm ready or not. And I'm like, well, there's one way you get ready to preach and go preach. And sometimes we have to listen to bad preaching, right? Maybe you're hearing bad preaching today. I don't know. But I, I want to encourage him to keep preaching. Why? Because the more you do something, the better you're going to get at it. If you say, well, I feel like God's encouraged me to reach the down and out. And don't think you're going to be at a point, some point in your life magically that now you can reach that crowd of people. Or maybe it's work with kids, or maybe it's work with elderly, maybe it's work with uneducated folks. Maybe it's to help evangelize those who've never heard the gospel. The best way, once you figure out what God's purpose and design for your life might be, is to go do it. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you get doing it. And that's just the truth of life. And so once you've you begin to be rooted in what God's got in store for you, just nurture it and do it over and over and over again so it becomes secondhand. Um, when we were in England a few months ago, um, we had this businessman, and he, shared the, he has shared his faith over 300 times. Uh, through They have a, a gentleman's Bible study in downtown London, and all these men come from the area they call the bank, and that's where all these guys work. It's an amazing... I didn't know much about it until we went to this. 400,000 people travel into the bank every day for work. That's a huge city. Just the people who come there to work. It's the financial district of London. And they started a men's Bible study club. And it's 20... Uh, I think he said it was 24 minutes. And they time it specifically because they calculate how far the furthest person has to walk from the work site to the location. So like every Tuesday, they meet for 24 minutes and they do a real quick Bible study. And then people go back to their jobs. And then they have their one-hour break. They can go back and forth, you know, and then they chit-chat. And then on Thursdays, what they do is kind of an introductory um, study for Christianity, okay? So the first one's for Christians that want to know more about the Bible. The second one, uh, they encourage all their members just to find one guy to bring to this kind of introductory thing to Christianity. It's similar. Are anybody here familiar with the Alpha Courses? It's based on that. It's very similar to that. And so they do this 24-minute segment on the Alpha Course-ish. And this guy then uses that as an opportunity to share his faith with his friends. And he doesn't live uh, work as far away as others have to walk, travel, so he has an additional 20 minutes he can talk with his friend after they finish that course. And he's been able to share his faith 
300 times in the last few years. I don't remember how many years it is. Just once a week, he has these guys come, and he's real natural at it. And he said, yeah, the first time I shared my faith, I didn't know what to say, but my pastor just told me. And he said it to us as if this was just normal. And I thought, man, I like the way he said that. He goes, I just try to talk about spiritual things naturally and natural things spiritually. And uh, that gives me an open door to talk to people about my faith. And, and we're like, okay, well, give us an example. What do you mean by that? He said, well, we come back from the weekend to go to work, and my friends are like, what would you do this weekend? They went and watched a football match, or somebody else would say, well, we went out and we went wine tasting in this area, and somebody else said, oh, we went to the continent for the weekend. What would you do? Well, he says, I just salt my conversation with my spiritual life. And he said, well, you know, Sunday morning we got up, we went to Sunday school where we studied God's Word, and then we had church, and then we watched this football match on the TV, and it's just a normal part of his life to talk about spiritual things. He doesn't evangelize in that moment, but what they realize immediately is this guy's got a spiritual side to him. And he doesn't always introduce it all the time, but regularly in his life, he talks about spiritual things in a natural way. And then he gets to talk about natural things in a spiritual way. He, every time he's talking about something happening in someone's life, he brings a spiritual element to it. So here's the thing is when he gets ready to invite one of his friends and he prays real hard before he figures out who to invite, and if they say no, he thinks about the next guy to invite. And every week on Thursday, he invites one of his friends, and it's not a shock to them. They don't find out, all the, oh, you're a Christian, because his life has already been one that he's just practiced living, that his faith is a, kind of on a sleeve in a way that's not off-putting to his, his coworkers. And so he said almost every person he's ever asked to go to one of these introductory classes about Christianity for lunch, almost every one of them has agreed to go. Because they're curious, because he's a nice guy too, right? That helps. Now, how did he, how did he do that? How, how his, and he said he had no idea how to even share his faith before this all started a few years ago. He's practiced, he's, he figured out where God has placed him in the lives of these other men. And most of them are men where he works. And he realized this is a way he can share his faith. And so he developed it and nurtured it. And he's been pretty successful. Almost everyone comes to these meetings Quite a few of those guys have come to follow Christ and now are disciplers of other guys as well. And so I just want to encourage you, maybe this is the year you figure out what your role is to sharing your faith with people who haven't had a chance to hear. The last thing the Apostle Paul then says in this particular passage of Scripture is, by doing all of this, we will be able to abound in thanksgiving. Remember, Paul is preparing his readers for the triumph of Christ on the cross. We sometimes think of the cross as a terrible thing, as a, as, a, as a defeat, right? Now, I know in our greater, broader theology, we know it's victory. The victory of the cross, something the world tried to destroy God with, God uses to destroy sin and death. The Apostle Paul treats it just like that. It's a triumph, the triumph of the cross. And he's preparing his readers for that triumph as well. And he says, listen, folks, if you will seek out, if you will discover God's purpose... Not necessarily for your life, but certainly for your life is in a bigger picture sort of way. If you will embrace that purpose, if you will then cultivate it and nurture it, you will find thanksgiving in your life. And that thanksgiving is part of this movement toward the triumph that Christ has, that we're going to get to join, and in the process, we get to have that triumph as well. I don't know about you, but I look forward to the eventual triumph over sin and death. I don't want sin in my life anymore or those of people around me. I'm tired of watching death happen in my own life, people that I love and care for. I do look forward to seeing again, but it's still heartbreaking. And, and the Scriptures promise us that those things have already been conquered. We just haven't seen the outcome yet. It's sort of like a, a football game. You're watching on TV, and I, I shudder to, to mention the Seahawks from two weeks ago, but 
You knew about halftime. That game wasn't going to end in the Seahawks' favor, right? But wait a minute. They still had so many minutes to play in the game, right? But the way the game had gone to that point, it was almost certain that you knew the outcome of that game. And that's what makes last week's more exciting because you didn't know, and all of a sudden they win the game, right? We live in a sort of football match like that. We live in a game that we already know the outcome. It's been de declared. We just have to finish playing the match. And, and what the Apostle Paul says is, is maybe that's an advantage for you and me. Perhaps it, perhaps it means we can get things right. We can work out some of the kinks in the process. When the ultimate victory will happen, we will be victors too. Let me encourage you this morning. May 2018 be your year of triumph. I don't know what each person here is wrestling with. Maybe there's some things you're looking forward to. Maybe you're hopeful. Maybe this year you're already planning to be the best year you've ever had. Maybe you're looking back at 2017 and wishing it had never happened. Or maybe some things in it you wish you could have avoided. Maybe people did things to you that you regret. Perhaps you did things to people that you regret. Whatever the case may be, this is a good time to pause and reflect and say, you know what, God? I'm going to give you the next year. I'm going to give you the next years. But on our calendar, we're switching from one number to the next. And it's a great time to say, God, this is going to be a victorious year. Why? Because you've already won the main victory. Now I ask you to help me with the smaller ones. May this be your year of victory. May you see the triumph of the cross in your life and in the lives of people, maybe even some of whom you don't know yet, know Jesus. And maybe you'll be part of the process of them coming to know Christ in the year ahead. Join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the work of the cross. Lord, I pray for each person here that they may discover your purpose, your purpose for their life and your grander purpose that they're supposed to plug into it. Lord, I ask you to give each person here the courage to embrace that purpose. Lord, it's hard sometimes. Uh, sometimes we know exactly what we're supposed to do and we don't want to do it. Sometimes in a relationship, we've uh, wronged somebody and we don't want to be the one to break down and humble ourselves and ask for an apology or to offer an apology. But maybe, Lord, it's something we cannot restore. Maybe we've caused financial or a personal trauma in the life of someone that we can't go back and change now. The best we can do is address it and ameliorate the situation. Or whatever the case may be, Lord, I pray that each person here can embrace fully what you've got in store in the year ahead for the purpose of ultimate victory victory in their life and victory for your, your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that each of us can take the time, help us on a daily basis, remind us, recall to our mind on a daily basis what we need to do to nurture and cultivate what you're growing inside of us. Lord, you attached us to the, the root. You, by dying on the cross, started the process of redemption, even in our lives, even as you did it through the whole of universe. And yet, Lord, that process is still taking place. So help us, Lord. Help me to focus on, on how to, to continue to that process to grow and develop in my own life. Let me not be uh, unwilling to, to be tied into you, Lord. Your, your words are stark in John 15 that we need to remain in you. And, and sometimes we think we can handle it on our own. And then, Lord, we find that we don't produce fruit and we wither up. I pray that this crowd specifically this year will be one that will be abundant fruit that we will be a people that when others look at us say, wow, you know, this person's growing in, in God. And, and it's not because we want the name or the recognition ourselves. We want your kingdom to grow. And Lord, I pray in the process that we will see the ultimate victory. And, and some of that victory may be tasted in 2018, but Lord, we have longer-term vision. 
We want to see our lives promote your kingdom. And we want to see our nation promote your kingdom. And we want to see the works that we do now that we hope will outlive us continue to promote your kingdom. And the victory we know in the cross, the victory we know when the trumpet will sound and we will be gathered together with you, Lord Jesus, is the hope that we put ourselves in. The hope that we rest all our hopes on. It's the hope of not a a, a fanciful wish, but an expectation rooted in your truth. Lord, may 2018 be the first steps for each of us to see that happen. It's in your name we pray. Amen.